Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Hey, big day, Super Bowl, and man, I cannot wait. That's a joke, because I kid you not, this morning on the way into the church, I asked Siri, hey, what day is the Super Bowl? I'm not kidding. I asked that, and that's probably not a good way to start a message like, that guy's not with it at all. And you're right. I'm not really with it at all. But I am so glad you're here. At this church, we're about inspiring people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus, people that love God, love the church, and love the world. Wherever you are at on that spectrum of faith, maybe you're just coming here just like, what's all of this about? You are loved. We are glad that you are here. And, and no matter where you're at on that spectrum, I want you to grow. And, and I'm, I, I love Jesus, and I want you to know my friend. And so we open up the Bible, which tells us about the Lord and tells us how we can live, and it tells us about this great God that we have. And I'm so glad that you're here today, and, and you're going to engage in God's Word. We're in the book of First Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, First Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're calling this 1 Corinthians. And the reason that we're doing that is because it, it's really driving home this sense of unity, this, this unity that should be in the body of Christ. And today, as we open up, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, it's really kind of an introductory into something really important that's going to play out over the next four chapters. And that is this idea of division and discord within the church. And so he's going to drill down on this kind of idea of people being united and, and not talking about having division among themselves. And so he's really going to talk for the rest of the chapter about them changing their behavior and living holy lives as God has called them to be holy. Now, today is going to be a little bit interesting because uh, in the first part of the message, I'm going to kind of drill down on this idea of division and discord. And then what we're going to do, we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about verse 16 and, and discipling our kids and, and what that looks like. I, I couldn't decide which message to preach. And so I thought, well, I'll just preach these two things. And so I'll let you know when we get there, because it's going to be like, well, we're going to take a sharp turn, and I don't need you banging your head on the, the window of the car as we make that turn. So we're going to take this journey together. And, and I think when we start talking about division and discord, we'd have to start out and say, I think we would all agree that people are basically selfish, right? We're just filled with ego and, and our self-interest. Like, uh, you think about you more than you think about me. I think about me more than I think about you. And, and to be honest, that's, that's the part of me that I really don't like, the, the part of me that's always centered on myself, kind of thinking about the, the world revolving around me and what's happening to me. And that's the part of me that I long for Christ to just remove so that there's more of him and less of me. I don't know if you've ever been to that place where you're just like, I'm tired of me. I'm tired of, of just kind of where my heart goes and my mind goes sometimes. I long to be in heaven and I long to be with him so that I can be exactly like him. In the meantime, God, keep refining me and making me more like you. And so for all of us, there's just this sense of ego. And for some people, it moves even into narcissism where it's just all about them. And that's because of this thing called sin. You spell sin, S-I-N, and I is in the middle of sin, right? It sounds like bad English, but I is in the middle of sin. Everything kind of revolves around me and this sin. And so uh, in church, it, we're filled with a room full of sinners, justified sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And wherever you have sinners, you have conflict. And our enemy, Satan, he loves that. 
I mean, he eats that kind of stuff up because he would love to destroy the testimony of who Jesus Christ is and finding division and discord within a body of Christ. Man, that's a great way to do it. So he's all about division. Jesus, yeah, he's all about unity. In fact, if you read John 17 sometime, the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying, God, make them, make them one. Build them together. Make them one. Lord, help them to love one another so that the world knows who you are, Father. And so this is what Paul is going to be talking about as, as we open up. Let's, let's look at verse 10 of chapter 1. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps bringing up Jesus. By the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. That's kind of weird, right? All of you agree. How's that going to happen? How's that possible that in the church we all agree? Like, we can't even all agree in our families, right? We can't all agree. Like, I have three people in my family. It's me, my wife Tammy, and my daughter Shelby. We can't agree. Like, where are we going to eat? We have three different dinners at night. What, where, what temperature should the room be? I, I want to go to Menards. My daughter wants to go to the American Girl store. So we're at the American Girl store, right? Like, it's like, and I can't get my wife to stop praying for snow. But these are the things, like, we can't all come to this same kind of, like, how are we going to do this in the church where we all agree? Where you got hundreds or thousands of people, and we come from these different places. we got different preferences and cultures and, and opinions about things. Well, obviously, this is going to have to be a work of the Holy Spirit for you and I to have unity within the body of Christ. And so when he says, I want you to agree, he, he's saying, in, in terms of God's word and the truths of God's word, you all need to be on the same page. We, we need to hold true to that word. Yes, we're going to have opinions. Yes, we're going to have preferences that are different. We might even have different interpretations when it comes to some of these minor issues issues within scripture. But he wants us all to agree. He goes on, and, and that there be no divisions among you. Now, this word divisions in the original language, in the Greek language, is the word schemata. And schemata means to tear a garment, to, to tear, to tear apart. And this is what God's getting at. He, he doesn't want there to be this division, this discord, this tearing apart. In Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19, it, it says there that God hates, he hates a brother who sows discord. So anybody who's going to come along and they're looking to sow division and discord between people, God hates that. And that's a strong term. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10, it says, warn a divisive person once, warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. And so this is a really, really important thing when it comes to the body of Christ. And again, Paul's going to come back to this over and over. And so I would just encourage you, if you're going to be disagreeable, be gently disagreeable. Watch your heart. Watch your attitude as you come to these kinds of places because you do not want to divide the body of Christ. It would be better to walk away than to divide a church. And some of you in here are orphans from that kind of thing happening in your own lives sometimes, right? So he's saying we need some unity. We don't need to be divided, right? We can have differences. That, that's fine, we have differences of opinion, but there are these things, there are these essential truths that we find in God's word where we all need to be on the same page. Like when it comes to who God is, who Jesus is, what the Bible is, sin, salvation, the Holy Spirit, there are things that we need to hold, and these are non-negotiables. In the areas that are negotiable, in these kind of disputable, fringe kinds of things and opinion, great. Let's have debate. Let's have a healthy discussion. We'll, we'll love one another as we're having just some serious debate, and that's cool. But when it comes to these uh, non-negotiable kinds of things, these indisputable doctrines, we need to be on the same page. He says, all of you agree. Otherwise, we're going to get to this place of division, and it's just tearing apart 
so we can give some room for one another. We, we all have kind of different views on different things, but on these non-negotiables, we're to be on the same page. No division. And then he says this, but that you be united, united, united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now that word for united in the Greek is the word katorizo, kata, kata, that's actually katatizo, katatizo. And that means to mend to knit together. It's actually the same word that's used in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 19, when you have James and John, and they're mending their net. It's the same word as right there. So they're, they're strengthening that net so that it can do the job of catching fish. And so we, we, are, we, we have this choice. We can either schemata, tear apart, or we can katatizo, and, and we can mend together. We're to be united, not divided. Be united, not divided. And we need that not just in our churches, but we need it in our homes as well, right? Husbands and wives, they need to be united, katatizo with one another. And it's really kind of interesting when you look at households sometimes because our, our kids sometimes, they, they like to divide and conquer. I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe, maybe if you're a young dad, listen to this. Somewhere along the line, your kid's going to come to you and is going to say, mom said I could, and don't you bite, right? Don't you bite. You say, well, mommy and I, we're, we're going to talk about that because kids are all about, well, I'm going to divide and conquer here. But you know, because you were a kid once and you knew how you tried to get your way. So as husband and wife, we want to katatizo. We want to be on the same page. We want to be together on this. And this is what's happening with this enemy that we have called Satan. Satan wants to come in and divide and conquer, right? This is, this is his second favorite strategy. Satan's favorite, second favorite strategy is to divide and conquer. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your businesses. He wants to, to divide and conquer nations. He wants to divide and conquer churches. So that's, that's like his second favorite thing to do. And you're like, well, what's his first favorite thing? I think Satan's first favorite strategy is unbelief. I, I think he's all about unbelief. If he can just convince people, man, there's no Satan. That's just in the movies, there's no such thing. If he can convince people, there's no God. There's no God. You don't need to believe in a God. The Bible isn't true. Well, then he's, he's conquered. His second favorite strategy, though, is this division that he causes. So how is it, friends, that you and I, as a local body of Christ, can remain connected and not divided? Well, I think one of the keys that we need to have here is humility. We need humility. Let, let me read this to you. It's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. If we're going to remain united, we must be humble. Watch this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? This flies in the face of ego. This flies in the face of I want my way. Usually if there's going to be a division in the church, it's about somebody who's going to want some self-glory, some vanity. They're going to want their way. They're not going to put other people first. They want their opinion. You go to verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.10, we just read, be united in the same mind and judgment. And there's really this powerful way for us to be united, and that involves humility. And humility is thinking about others more than you think about yourselves. Putting other people first. Imagine what happens in a home or in a church where you have a number of people who are going to humble themselves and stay true to the word of God 
Imagine what happens when they humble themselves to, to authority. Imagine what happens when your preference is not first and foremost, but you're looking to meet the needs of others. That's the place where you begin to have unity. You think of others. You think of everybody else more than you. Paul goes on, verse 11. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people, Chloe's got people, uh, that, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So what we have here is we've got a mole in the church, right? We got a snitch, right? We got somebody who's running off to Paul and saying, hey, here's, here's what's going on. Here's, here's what's being said. So he says, what I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, and that's Peter, or I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what he's beginning to address here, and we're going to see all the way through chapter 4, is we have these factions within the church that are being developed, these different camps. People, people are saying, there's some people that I'm going to follow, and I'm not going to follow other individuals. And so you have this one group of people, and they're the loyalists. The loyalists said, we're of Paul. Paul started this church. He started it. We're going to stick with him. We're down with Paul. So they're loyalists. We're going to stick with him. Then you have the stylists. So you got the loyalists, you got the stylists. And the stylists, man, this is the group that loved good preaching. So they said, we're with Apollos. And we find out in the book of Acts that Apollos was a great preacher. And this is a culture that loved oratory skills. And so they're like, well, we're going to follow Apollos. He's a good preacher. So we got some loyalists, we got some stylists, and then we have some traditionalists. And the traditionalists said, well, I don't know about Paul, and I don't know about Apollos, but we're going to follow Peter. I really feel like we were on firm ground when Peter came through. Very likely, Peter passed through Corinth and, and preached and spent some time there. They said, let's get back to beginnings. Let's get back to Jerusalem. Let's get back to what Peter was saying. We thought, man, we had solid ground then. Besides, he's one of the first apostles. We're with Peter. Then you have another group, and they're coming along, and they're saying, well, we're of Christ. And that's a good thing. You want to be of Christ, or it could be a bad thing, depending on you know, kind of what they're doing and how they're saying it. It's good if they're the, the only voice of reason in the moment. But what's happening is people are dividing. They're going into these different camps, and it didn't have to be that way. They didn't have to divide. You can have a Paul. You can have an Apollos. You can have Peter. You don't need to segment into these different things. And so what Paul is going to be saying is what you've got going on is some celebrity worship. You've got cult of personality. You've got preachers that come along, and you're like, I like that preacher, not that preacher. I can't listen to that person, but I will only listen to this person. It doesn't have to be that way. You can have these different individuals speaking into the life of the church, but they've got this cult of personality, like, I like this preacher, I like this teacher, I like this spiritual leader, but it doesn't have to be that way. What he's saying is, look, we're just interim stewards, we're interim pastors, we're interim ministers here, and we're just passing through. We're just holding the stewardship of these roles, and you don't need to elevate us to this place. We're just here for a short period of time. Like, I'm here as a pastor in this church for a short period of time. I have no idea when the Lord will call me away. But the thing is, I understand people won't remember me, and it doesn't matter. Like, this world will not remember that there was a Chris Sorensen. Two years away from this place, whenever the Lord calls me away or says, you're coming home, people will be like, who? And it doesn't matter. Do you know why? I'm not building my kingdom. We're building Christ's kingdom. You don't need to remember me. You need to know Christ. 
any minister that comes along and they keep talking about they're building their ministry. And this is my dream and this is my vision. And this is my church. This is not my church. This church belongs to Christ. Anybody that keeps going down this road of selfish, look at me, look at how much I'm doing, that's just a false preacher. That is, that is a, a false shepherd and enough of that. You, you don't need to elevate any pastor to that position. And any pastor can go at any time. And that's just fine with God. And it needs to be just fine with us. Don't put me up on a pedestal or any other minister. We're just going to fall. Don't put us there. You put Christ at the center. Don't let me be the only voice that speaks into your life. You find other good teachers and you listen to them. And anytime that I say something that is contrary to God's word, I'm wrong. God's right. And so Paul's saying, you don't need to be dividing into these things. And so he's like, I'm, I'm so glad that you weren't baptized in my name. He says this in verse 14. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And he goes, oh, yeah, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so Paul goes, man, I don't remember if I baptized anybody. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I baptized Stephanus and his household. Uh, beyond that, I don't even know. Whatever. I think, I think this is amazing, right? I, and maybe you've been there too. Like you're getting the sense of, man, he's just like me. Don't you have those moments where you're just like, I can't remember. Like you're at the bottom of the steps and you're like, did I just come down or am I going up? <laughs> and there's just something that happens as we get older and are, are, are just... Things fall apart, like my, your eyesight begins to go, and then your muscles turn to mush, and your memory isn't as good as it used to be, and then your memory's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> so I, I like this. I like this about Paul. He didn't remember everybody's name either. I don't know all of your names, right? Like, this is just like, I baptized some people, whatever. I don't know, because this hasn't been about me. It has been about Christ. And so over and over, he's going to keep drilling this thing home. And man, he is really going to shine a light on how we as ministers who are kind of fully released into ministry, how we need to be viewed by other people, how we need to view ourselves. And we ain't nothing. I'm nothing. I'm a servant. I'm a slave of Christ. Don't put a pastor up on a pedestal. Let's put Christ there. So over and over, that's what he's going to talk about. And there'll be plenty of time to talk about it. But right now, what I want to do, I want to shift gears. All right, so this is the moment where you're going to hear the other message I thought about preaching. I want us to look at verse 16 where he says, oh yeah, I baptized Stephanus' household. Now this is Stephanus, it's interesting. His family's one of the first converts there in Corinth. And in fact, it's Stephanus, you read in chapter 16, who, who's the one, he's bringing this information to Paul. But Stephanus' whole household was baptized. His whole household, his kids, his family, they came to know Jesus as their Savior. They heard the truth of the gospel, that there are sinners in need of a Savior, just like you. And Jesus came, born of a virgin. He died on a cross for Stephanus' household, as well as everybody's household. And Jesus took on all of our sin and our shame on the cross, and he died there. And then he was put in a grave. He was put in a tomb. And then, miracle of miracles, he rose on the third day, proving that he's God. He conquered death, and he offers life. And they received this truth, and they were changed, their whole family. And I think that's what we want. 
We long for whole families to come to know Jesus because your faith, it's not just about you. If you think it's about you, you're all the way back there, back to the ego thing. This is about us longing. Like if you're a mom or dad, you've got kids. If you're a grandpa or grandma, you long for your children to know Jesus Christ and to come to faith and spend the rest of eternity in heaven with you and inviting them to know your friend, Jesus. But how do we do this? How can we accomplish something like this? How do we teach our kids and encourage them to follow Jesus? Because we're living in a time right now where that kind of thing is challenging. Like when it comes to politics and when it comes to identity, when it comes to education, when it comes to media and entertainment, it just seems like the world is trying to counter-disciple our children. They're, they're, They're feeding a different message, a different gospel, which isn't really gospel good news. It's bad news if you play it out to the end. And the world comes along and it's trying to redefine everything for our kids. It's trying to redefine what you're going to do with your body. It tries to redefine this this is how you think. This is how you should view success. It tries to redefine what morality is and success is. It's changing all of these things in their hearts. It's trying to counter-disciple them. The world is coming along and dragging our kids away. It's all around us. Like I hear from parents who say, look, I've... I send my kids off to college, and colleges undo everything that I poured into my kids' life within two to four years. Like, we've tried investing in them and them knowing who the Lord God Almighty is and truth and morality, and it takes no time. And this world system is counter-discipling my kids. Make no mistake, the, the Bible explains to us that there's two different kingdoms at war. There's, there's, there's this battle that is going on. There is a prince of the power of the air. And I told you, his first plan is for Satan to convince you there is no Satan. There is a Satan. He's a created being. He's defeated and a loser, but there is a Satan. Then there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of the world has a philosophy and an idea that keeps pouring into our kids' hearts and lives. And we need to be aware of this kind of thing. Because these things like goodness, right, and truth, and and knowledge, and love, and righteousness, and holiness, all of that is amazing. But the world is pitched to you and me and to our kids as being shiny and a whole lot better than holiness and righteousness and truth and a life lived on a narrow road, right? It's just this pull, and it's just very, very clear. It's, it's almost like this. Not a perfect analogy, but it's, it's a little bit like this. The movie Braveheart, if you've ever watched Braveheart, how many of us would watch Braveheart? Like if the English come in, they kill William Wallace's wife, and then for the next two hours of the movie, you just see him praying. Like he's just praying for two hours. Nobody's going to buy tickets to that. What do we want? Man, we want, we want the paint on the face and ride the horse and give the speech, freedom, right? And punch somebody in the face and rip somebody's arm off. That's what we want. This is kind of the appeal of the world, right? Now, there is justice to fight for. I'm not going there. I'm just saying the appeal of the world is, look, this is shiny. You want this. Go after this. This is what your heart desires. And that's not always true. So we're living in this realm of how am I to be a kingdom person in the midst of this foreign land, a kingdom that stands opposed to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. How do I disciple my kids? How do I teach my kids to love the Lord and to walk in holiness at the same time, not running away from the world. 
to let them know, like, we're not opposed to the world in that sense. We're to love the world. But at the same time, how do we begin, begin to you know, wrap their hearts around the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and this kingdom life? I think one thing is we need to let them know to take that desire to conquer, that desire to subdue the earth, and go ahead and just pour that into the kingdom of God and live it out in this life. Like if we have a whole generation of people that are like, I'm all about truth and truth that doesn't come from me and isn't subjective to every single person, but truth, and I'm going to walk that out. I think that's appealing, and it's appealing for kids to step into that. So as parents, as a church, and we got to be proactive to teach our kids. We, we can't just let them get their theology from nothing. We, we can't have them just getting a philosophy of life just from the world. They're going to absorb discipleship from one kingdom or the other. Right? If you're sitting around thinking, well, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be good kids and they can make their way through this world and make their own decisions. And moral, when it comes to morality, there's no neutral morality. It's either coming from the kingdom of God or it's coming from the kingdom of this world. And there's a source of that. Like you got to start wrapping your mind around things that are true, things that are right. I mean, you can't just be like, well, you know, I'm going to let them decide whatever they want to decide on abortion. Abortion's murder. What are you talking about? Like, we have to teach truth. Let's go to God's word. I know the world says one thing, but it's counter-discipling and pulling against you and the truth of who God is. And so we got to be active about it. And we got to start younger and younger, right? And you can't just, we can't just lay this on Trey or Keegan in the youth group. Like, here's our kids, get them fixed. And they've only got like 30 times meeting with them in a year. And if they're teaching, that's like 15 hours of teaching, your kids get 15 hours of being countercultured in two and a half days. It's not near enough time. So we're to partner with you, to wrap our arms around and encourage you as parents. And we got to start this younger and younger. In fact, our, our Joyland, the, the elementary ministry, this, this Thursday, every Thursday for six weeks, there's five weeks left, they're doing something called intentional parenting, where we're just saying, let's come around parents and teach them and train them how they can just do regular life with their kids just to help you and to encourage you to come alongside. If you want to sign up for that, you can. It's on the groups page. They'll meet Thursdays at 6.30. I think there's five meetings left. But we've got to be active about this. And it takes work because there is a theology of this culture. Some time ago, it's about 2005, somewhere in there, there's a gentleman by the name of Christian Smith. And he did some study about what was happening with teenagers at that time and their worldview and what they thought. And he formed this uh, idea of encapsulating everything that he was hearing from young people in our nation. And he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. So the thought was, and this thought still is, that yeah, there's a God. But that God's really not personal. That's what a deist is. He's really not personal. He's not really engaged. Yes, he wants us to be moral. We should be good. However you define good, he wants you to do that. And you've got to be good if you're going to get into heaven. No idea where that line is, but just be good. Be more good than more bad. So I want you to be good. And then this idea of therapeutic. That man, that God, he wants me to be happy. This, this God is here for me. I'm not here for him. He's here for me. And so I, I, he's going to make sure that I'm happy and that I'm getting what I want out of life. And so that's the kind of the current trend of like this God yeah, maybe he's up there and he wants me to be moral, but it's only in so much that I get something from him, that my life is not for him. He's for me. 
And so we got to counteract that. And we even have to counteract this thing on the inside of us where we have our own inclination to run away from God, where we have this inclination to lean into my ego, my narcissism, me, 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 me. And that's true of all of us. And to be able to look ourselves in the mirror, to be able to look at our children and our grandchildren and be like, let's pursue Christ. Let's make him primary. Let's put him at the forefront. Let Christ be seen. Let's shrink back here. But that takes work. Because in our schools, in our colleges, in media, our kids, our Christian kids are being countercultured and they're being thrown all kinds of just overwhelming anti-Christ kinds of things. It is this worldview that says everything's relative, everybody's got their own truth, and now it's going to step past that and it's moved to inclusivism where you've got to agree with everybody else's truth no matter how wacky, false, or obviously wrong it is. We gotta work against that. We gotta be able to say, no, there's knowledge. Let's pursue knowledge and right and truth. And if we as parents were not answering these questions, they've got hard, tough questions. If we're not willing to answer them, our kids are just gonna fall off a cliff. They're just gonna keep falling away from Christ. So it's not longer enough just to kind of give our kids little Bible lessons, flannel graph, and here's some nice stories. We've got to teach them. We've got to teach them doctrine and theology and truth and apologetics. Apologetics is understanding your defense of the faith, 1 Peter 3.15. Why do you hope in this? How is this not just a superstition for you? We've got to be able to teach them and train them. That's why in our, our high school group, we have something called Anchors Away. And so we take the students, we, we give them some of this information, like you're going to be facing some challenging things when you get into college. Let's go ahead and look at these things biblically so that you can have some footing and some ground when people are coming at you and attacking and you have more than just, well, I got faith. No, I've got some knowledge here and what you're saying is baloney. And here's why. That's ours. That's ours as believers. It's insufficient. Insufficient for our youth groups to continue to just focus on entertainment and marshmallow faith. We can't do that. We got to train our kids and we got to train them for war. Like we can't just keep sending them out like, well, here's your rubber sword and your your plastic armor. Good luck. No, we got to equip them. The time for playing games, that's past. Oh, and I know there might be students in the room and you're like, I love nine square. What are you saying? Um, I'm not saying like we can't play games or we can't watch the Super Bowl tonight. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let's grab a hold of truth. It exists. It could be lived out. Let's grab a hold of the spirit of God and yield our lives to him and allow Christ to live his life through us. Let's take this good news of the love of Christ and what he has done into the school, into our workplaces, and watch the transformation happen. Friends, that is, that is ours, and that is ours as a church to come alongside you as parents and grandparents to help that happen. Because the soul of your child, that's primary. Like their soul, their eternal spirit, and where they're going when they die, that's primary. Yeah, yeah, sports are fun. Believe me, I know. Four years, football, basketball, baseball, track. Got it. It can teach discipline and leadership. Sports is great. Good grades are awesome. Get good grades. Get a good job. Be productive in the world. Fantastic. But if those things come at the expense of their soul, they're no longer good things. 
You must embrace the community that Christ has built, the church, so we can come alongside you as a body of believers and keep calling you to this place of, no, there is truth, there is righteousness, and we can walk in this. And as parents and grandparents, man, we got to walk this out outside of this room. It's no good for us to just come in here and kind of like put on the Christian face and then walk out of here and live however we want to live. We're getting drunk at home and your family watching that kind of thing. Come on. We, we, can't, we can't be the kind of Christian like we're going to come in here and we're going to kind of just play this game. We're going to come in early. We're going to leave early. Uh, we're going to badmouth the church and Christianity. No kid wants that. You're working with the world at that point. So our lives must be congruent with the truth of who God is. That there would be less of us and we would long for the truth and the righteousness of God. And even when it comes into those places in our life where it's hard, like when you have a preacher up here saying something that hurts your feelings, man, just embrace truth and holiness. And I don't say those things to make you feel bad. I don't know your business. I don't even know some of your names. That's been established. All right, so I don't know. But I want to call us higher. I want us to engage. And this, is, this isn't just like lip service for us as a church. We want to partner with you. Like we, we invest in this. Like we invest in staff for this, and it's expensive. And we align staff so that we get this done. And sometimes we have to realign staff to get this done. We pour resources into it. The reason we're sitting in a new building as adults wasn't so that we could have a new building for adults. It's so that we could have space for kids. That's why we're in here. So we pour resources and time and volunteers and energy and creativity because we have a generation behind us, friends, that we dare not let go. We love them too much. We love you too much for that to happen. Imagine, imagine what would begin to happen. Like if, if we would pour ourselves out and continue to disciple really care for our children and not just let this world stretch, stretch, uh, to, you know, take them away from us. Imagine the change that happens. Imagine the change that happens when our kids begin to realize that they're citizens of another kingdom and that the king of their heart, it's not them. It's not how they feel. It's not their opinion. That the king of their heart isn't even other people around them. Like, what are my friends going to think? Or my social media and my status out here in this world. And the king of their heart isn't this world. But the king of their heart is the king of kings, Jesus Christ. Imagine what begins to happen when we as a generation pour into the generation behind us. And we love them with the love of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I don't want you walking out of here feeling like defeated by what's happening in the world around us. I think this is a prime opportunity for you and I to stand out as lights in this world. Not to be hidden, but to step forward and say, there is a God who made us. This God loves us. He loves us so much that he wouldn't leave us to this place where we just live our own lives, walk our own way into the abyss, but he has reached out through the loving hand of his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might know him now and forever. I'm going to stop there, or I'll preach a third message. <laughs> I just want to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, change me. Change my heart. I want to look more like you. I don't want to shrink back in fear. I'm not worried about this world's system. I'm, I'm worried about your kingdom. I have to preach that to myself. You have to keep whispering that in my ear, that there would be less of me and there would be more of you. 
Father, would you do that for this church? That we would march forward in love, in love, but with truth, unafraid, filled with courage, filled with your spirit, because there is a battle that is going on, and we see it. Thank you for opening our eyes. We will engage, not for our glory, not for ourselves, for your glory, for your good name, for your fame. Change us. Change our community. Change our homes, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.